Can we turn back to the book of uh, Genesis, please, and to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to read from verse uh, 19 of the chapter, the book of Genesis chapter 25, and beginning our reading at verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abram's son. Abram begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she began to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were, two, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Let's just unite in a word of prayer afresh. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for the word of God to our souls today. We thank thee that these things are written for our learning, that we through understanding and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And we just ask thee that thou wast indeed help us to delve into the lessons and the things that need to be learned from this passage of scripture we thank thee today that thy word is truth, and we just look to thee that thou wast apply that truth to our hearts and to our souls, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, over the next few weeks, we want to take a look at the life of Jacob, the man that gave his name to the nation of Israel. And today, we're just going to look at the commencement of his life, and in many ways, the fact that Jacob was born at all was a miracle. You will remember that back in the days of Jacob's grandfather, uh, that Abram 
had been given a wonderful promise that in him would all the nations of the earth be blessed and that he would have a son and that through the son there would be a progenitor of the covenant blessings that would be upon his, his grandson. And Isaac grew up and married Rebekah. Abram had difficulty having a child. He was old. He was 100 years old when he uh, had his uh, child, uh, Isaac, and we think of how there was this long period, and it seemed impossible that Isaac would have had, uh, or that uh, Abram would have had a son, and yet God in his mercy brought about the impossible. And then Isaac grew up and married Rebekah, and now Isaac is the one through whom the covenant promises will come. And we think of how Rebekah too had difficulty in bringing forth a son. We are told here how that for 20 years that uh, Rebekah had difficulty in having a son. And how that uh, after 20 years of prayer, uh, the child uh, came into being. And that child, the, the children that came into being were Isaac, or Jacob rather, and Esau. And we think of those two boys, this is the first mention of twins in the Bible, but they are two different individuals. Even though they are twins, you know that every child is different in the family. And indeed, there have been studies done about the order of birth and how it seems to make a difference. They say that uh, the firstborn, those are the responsible ones, those are the ones that uh, will be the leaders, maybe uh, those that are going to lead the way. The middle children, they are the ones that will compromise, who will uh, be uh, reconcilers. They are the ones who are uh, a little bit more laid back. They are used to the crossfire. and uh, They are used to uh, solving the problems in the family. And then the youngest, they, well, they are usually the jokers in the family, they are the ones that relieve the tension in the midst of all that has do, uh, taken place. And Jacob and Esau, they're different. But we want to think about how God takes this man and how God uh, is able to take him and use him for the extension of his kingdom and for blessing in the days that were to lie ahead. And we just want to think about God's blessing upon this man Jacob. We look at these two boys, they're so very different, and yet God is able to use them for his name's sake and for his glory. So today, just very simply, we want to look at the beginning or the birth of the this man Jacob and what lessons we can draw from his birth. So let's just look then at Jacob. And let's look at his beginning. And first of all, I want you to see the prayer that was made for his birth. As we say, this man, Jacob and Esau, they were conceived in answer to prayer. If you look at Genesis chapter 25 and look at verse 21, you'll see it says, And Isaac, uh, or, uh, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Of course, infertility is a very hard cross to bear. But I want you to see how that 
This is something that we can bring to the Lord in the place of prayer. And you'll see how that Isaac here entreats the Lord. He cries unto the Lord. He has faith in God that God is going to answer his prayer. You think of how James wrote in James 1 and 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And the Lord had enabled Isaac to pray for his sons for 20 years. If you compare it, 20 years he's praying for his child. And then the answer comes. And I want you to see the pronouncement about their birth. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And you can think about the joy that there was in the heart of Rebekah when Isaac's prayer was answered and the two sons were to be born. And you think about even that in the family, how that we're to bring our needs to the Lord at the throne of grace and prayer. Here was a praying husband and also a praying wife. And when you have prayer as the foundation of your family, you're going to have a good foundation. And it teaches us, men and women, that we need to pray for our families. We need to pray for them, that they might be brought up uh, to be good citizens. But more than that, that they're washed in the precious blood of the Lamb, and that they serve the Lord with all of their hearts. And Isaac loved his wife and pleaded with God for her that her prayers would be answered and that she would have the child that she longed for. And how we need to pray for our wives. And wives, you need to pray for your husbands. And parents, we need to pray for our children. And grandparents need to pray for their grandchildren. And how important it is that we pray and that we bring all of these things to the Lord in prayer. And we have said that Isaac prayed 20 years. And you think of all of that time. And maybe you, could, you would have given up and said, well, what's the use in this prayer? 20 years, 19 years I've been praying, and my prayer is still not answered. But God always brings things around. God answers prayer in the end. God uh, fulfills his will in the end. And here was the answer to prayer. But look at now what happens. These two children are born. And we read that they are struggling one with another. The word struggle together there is uh, the meaning that they wrestled one with another. Now, you can see something about what we can learn from that. First of all, we read, now, this wrestling here is real wrestling. They are really going at it. Now, most of us don't remember being in the womb. In fact, I'm sure most of us don't really remember when we were babies. But this teaches us that these were individuals in the womb. And they were able to think because obviously this wrestling, they struggled together. And there was a battle going on. It was a real battle. And these two twins, they were aware of one another in the womb. 
They were aware. And you can see that baby, even though we don't remember, it's only now that science is coming to the place where it is able to say that babies are able to feel and that they are aware of so many things. And as time has gone on, we are learning that babies are more aware in the womb than ever was thought before. Now, you could have seen that in the Bible. You could have learned that from the Bible. But as time goes on, so the Bible will be proved to be true, as it always is. And here they was, this wrestling match that was going on. between. And in the Bible, Jacob is often talk, uh, thought of as the uh, spiritual and Esau, he is the picture of the fleshly. So there's the struggle, the spiritual and the fleshly. And that's a struggle that is going on in our own hearts and in our own lives. The flesh will war against the spirit. And how that is in our own lives, there's a struggle that is going on as long as we live. But you see another lesson. We can see that we are born in sin. Because here they are fighting in the womb. Here they are, and they are struggling one with another in the womb. And we think of how the Bible says that in sin did my mother conceive me. And you know, some people think, well, sin is only to do with what we do um, in this life. Sin, a baby couldn't sin, people think. There are many people that would say that, a baby couldn't sin. Because it doesn't know, but it does. And here these were, and they were struggling and fighting in the womb. Uh, it says in, in the, uh, the Word of God, in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. And the elder, he says, would serve the younger. So there is a struggle, and sin is evident. But not only is there the prayer for their birth and the pronouncement made at their birth, but look at what we're told about the point of their verse, birth. Look at verses 24 to 26. It says, And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. After that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So Esau was the firstborn, and from the very beginning he was red or ruddy. Uh, that's how the Bible describes David, Jesse's son, and that would have been counted as something uh, wonderful in those days. It was a much admired characteristic to be red or ruddy. It uh, signified strength and good health and vitality. And that was Esau. He was uh, one who was red from the beginning. And Jacob, he's immediately born after his brother. And his hand is holding Esau's heel. And swiftly on the heels of his brother... He makes his appearance, and he's called Jacob. Now, the der derivation of that name means uh, something like a shortened form of may God protect. Now, many preachers, in fact, most preachers, and I've done this, um, will say that the name Jacob means supplanter. 
and there's a pun on the name Jacob. There is, there is something of that in the name. Uh, it is called that because he was a supplanter, and there is something of that in the name. But really, the, the derivation of the name, it's a typical Hebrew type, a Semitic name, may God protect. So it's a name of blessing that he has here, and it has the connotation of the Lord's protection. And we think about their birth here. But then I want you to think about their behavior. Esau and Jacob are very different. If you think about Malachi 1 again, it says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. And you will see that Jacob becomes God's child, and Esau becomes the enemy of God. And here you think of uh, that uh, change that took place in these boys. Now, look at them here. You can see the difference in the character. Look at Esau. Esau is rugged. Esau is red. Esau was born first. And it says that he was red all over like a hairy garment. So in the beginning, he's rugged. He's healthy. He is an outdoors man. He's going to become an outdoors kind of a character. He has all the advantages. He is the one who's born first. Therefore, he is the right to the birthright. And we think of all of the natural gifts that are given to Esau. And we think of how in fighting with Jacob, Jacob obviously lost because Esau was born first. And so here's a winner. Esau's a winner. And we think of all of the spiritual blessings that he was going to have from his parents. But he despises the blessings. He wastes the blessings. We'll see that in a little while. And you know, it teaches us that we need to value the blessings that we have. You know, there are many, many young people, and they take for granted the blessings that they have in a Christian home, or in a church where the gospel is preached, or in, in friends that are godly or in uh, an atmosphere in which they're brought up in the things of God. And many will profess faith and go to church and will take that for granted. We can't take our blessings for granted. Esau despised his blessings. And we can't do that. We think of the many blessings that God has given us in this land, the heritage that we have, the history of the preaching of the gospel. And we have to hold on to that. And we have to make sure that that's handed on to the next generation. And we need to make sure that as much of that is preserved as possible. And uh, in this day, we have that uh, responsibility to hold on to what we have. Esau didn't hold on to what he had. And he lost out. But not only have we Esau the rugged, but we have Jacob the retiring, or at least that seemed to be the case. And the commentators would say that Jacob was born a loser. He lost the battle in the wrestling match between him and Esau, and he was born holding on to his brother's heel. And you remember the, uh, uh, Esau's the firstborn. You remember the uh, prophecy that had been made in the book of Genesis, how that the seed of the serpent would uh, bruise the heel of the uh, 
of the of the uh, of the Lord, really, in the end, but of the seed, the the godly seed. So here, as Esau comes out, Esau, or Jacob has taken his heel, bruised as it were his heel, for all the world it seems as if Esau is the one who is the inheritor of the blessing. And Jacob, as it were, he seems to be a loser. And we think of Esau, he's hunting in the fields, Jacob's at home, and the odds are stacked against Jacob. Jacob's like a farm manager. But we know that still waters run deep. And we think of how that Jacob has an interest in godly things. Now, he goes about it the wrong way. We'll see that in a wee minute. He goes about it in the wrong way, and he does things in a wrong way. But at the bottom of it all, Jacob has an interest in the things of God. He is a man who's looking for the Lord. And we think of how Jacob is pushing ahead here. He is a man who really, at the end of the day, is going to be a natural leader. Doesn't seem like it, but God takes the weak things of the world. And you know, we think of how God brings these things around. The second son of Abram, not Ishmael, but Isaac was the one that was chosen. You think of how now how that uh, uh, it's not Esau, but Jacob that is chosen. And it looks as if Esau is the winner. Esau is the one, he's the outdoors man. He's the man that everybody, he, Jacob's at home, he's uh, like uh, looking after the cooking and the, uh, the books, as it were. He, he's, he doesn't look like the one that's going to be the progenitor in any way. But you know, sometimes God takes the weak things to confound the things that are mighty. And you know, that's a lesson that we learn through the word of God. Later on, you see how that uh, Joseph brings his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to get the blessing of Jacob. And Jacob uh, brings the firstborn uh, to, uh, on the right side of uh, Jacob to get the blessing. But Jacob crosses over his hands as the younger is going to get the blessing. And again, you see that time and time again. And you know, we might think well, we're weak. We might think that we have no talents. We may think that we could do nothing. We are at a disadvantage in so many ways. And yet you can see time and time again how that God takes the weak and the disadvantaged. And God uh, does these things for his own glory and for his own sake that he may show that he is in control of all of these things. He is the one who works it out. It's not us. It's not our power. Not our talents. It's the Lord that does all these things. So today you might be in this place and you're thinking to yourself, well, God couldn't use me. God couldn't uh, take me. I have no talents. I have no abilities. I have nothing to bring to God. I have nothing to offer. And yet you can see time and time again how God takes those things that seem to be despised. He takes the weaker one. He takes the less talented one. And God thrusts him into the very place of the battle. You, you think sometimes, when you look at it, sometimes you think of talented men that come out of the college. Um, men 
who maybe are gifted preachers. And maybe they go to a small church out of the way. That's where God calls them. And you wonder why that is. And yet God does that in order to uh, teach us and to mold us into what we ought to be. He takes the weak things. He molds us and uses us. And when we are obedient to God and do what God wants us to do, he might send you, and you think, well, I have plenty of talents. He might send you to an out-of-the-way place in order for you to learn to depend upon him. And you can see what we need to do is learn to put our hand in the hand of the Lord all of the time. But one more thing. We see the birth or the beginning of these men and we see something here of uh, their uh, behavior. But then I want you to see their birthright. Now they have grown up. And look at verses 29 to 31. It says, And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was feigned. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am feigned. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Now, Here we are, they've grown up a little. Esau is this hairy hunter, the strong man outwardly. But Esau comes in one day and he's absolutely starving. He's been out hunting and he smells something very tasty. Something's bubbling on the pot and there's a wonderful smell. And Esau is absolutely hungry. And he goes and he demands from Jacob that he give him some of the food that he's been cooking And uh, Jacob says, no. And Esau says, sell it to me then. And Jacob says, if you really want it, then sell me your birthright. Now, what's the birthright? Well, the birthright was the spiritual inheritance. It meant a physical inheritance in that the one who had the birthright got two-thirds of the inheritance that was coming to him from his father. But it also meant the spiritual headship of the home. It meant that he was in the line of the Messiah, as it were. He was the one who was the carrier of the covenant promises of God. So this was nothing small or nothing insignificant. But look at what Esau did. Look at verse 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? So he is willing to part with the birthright. What kind of man is Esau? He's the man who wants instant gratification. He's the man who wants, if he's hungry, he wants fed now. If he has uh, any kind of want, he wants that want to be satisfied instantly. He's the attitude of the man who wants to gratify the flesh. And it doesn't matter what he needs to do. He wants to gratify the flesh now. And you can see that in the world. There are so many like Esau out on a Saturday night or a Friday night and you go into the town and they want to gratify their fleshly appetites, whether it's for food or for drink or for a mate. They want to gratify their appetites and they want to do it now. You think of what the Bible says about Esau in Hebrews 12 and 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And you can see that fornication is uh, synonymous here with 
Esau, and you can see the way that he is just trying to gratify the flesh. And you'll notice the irony of the word of God. For one morsel of meat. And the spirit of God is saying just for so small a thing. To sell his spiritual birthright. God is as it were emphasizing how stupid he was. How foolish he was. To despise the spiritual part of his life. To put the fleshly, to put the worldly things first rather than to gratify himself in the things of the Spirit, he gratified himself in the things of the flesh. And how easy that is in this world of the internet, in this world of instant pleasure, where we can get to places so fast. My, we can gratify the flesh so very instantly. But that's not what we do. What about the spiritual What about the spiritual? What about the heart? What about the things of God? What about our home in heaven? What about the Savior who died on the cross and shed his blood for us? How much do we value the Lord? How much do we value our salvation? How much do we value what God has done for us there on the cross of Calvary? Here's a man who despised his spiritual birthright Counted as nothing. And we can do the same so very easily. What about Jacob? Is Jacob any better? Well, he isn't very much better. What would it have cost him to give a little bit of that food to his brother? It wasn't a stranger even that was coming, although we are to feed the stranger. But this is his own brother, his own flesh and blood. Could he not have spared a little bit of that here? But he's scheming. Here he is, and he's trying to further himself. Now, God was going to use this. God sometimes uses the wicked deeds of men, as he did on the cross. Ye by wicked uh, hands have taken and slain, the uh, apostle Peter said. But the Lord had a purpose in it. God was fulfilling all things and bringing the Savior to the cross. And the Lord uh, took this into account. And God brought all things together for good. But nevertheless, Jacob was not right. And you think of how he um, here is uh, selfish. He is trying to advance his own, uh, his own uh, agenda here. And you think of sometimes how God's people can do the same. You know, the Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. We give of the blessings that God has given to us. And you think of how, in, particularly in some circles, you think of how healings, you have to give seed money, you have to give a donation to get your healings, and you have to uh, pay up in order to get these uh, blessings that come, this seed faith, as they call it. You pay your seed money, as they call it, in order to get your healing or to get your blessing or to get your health or to get your wealth. You have to pay. That's not the gospel. That's not what the Word of God says. It's without money, without price. You think of the Lord Jesus. And when he sent out his disciples, what did he do? What did he do himself? He went about... Healing. Wherever he went, he healed. He went out into the highways and byways and healed. And when he did send out his disciples, he sent them out to do the same. 
They weren't gathering people into big, uh, into big halls and saying, well, you give, give us a pile of money, and if you give us a pile of money, we'll give you a healing. That wasn't what they said. They didn't, he didn't say that. He freely gave. And you think of these men who profess that they can heal. Shouldn't they go into the hospitals? Shouldn't they go into the uh, places where people are and heal them freely? Freely you've received, freely give. It's the job of the child of God to dispense God's blessings freely. And you think of Jacob, and he should have dispensed the blessings that he'd been given freely. But he didn't. And we think of all of that. But all, while Jacob is going about these things in a wrong way, I want you to see that at the back of it all, in the very bottom of it all, he has an interest in spiritual things. Now, it's covered over by sin. It's marred by sin. But there is there an interest in the spiritual things. Now, child of God, you might feel God in many ways. And you might do many things. And you might sin. But is there deep in your heart an interest in spiritual things? Is there an interest in the Word of God? Is there an interest in the salvation of souls? Is there an interest in getting the Word of God out? In freely distributing the Word of God? Is there an interest in spiritual things? If there's no interest... If, 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 it's a, 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 if it's something that grinds on you to come to the place of God, if it's, it's a thing that grinds on you to come to the house of God and to worship Him, there's something dreadfully wrong. You might, do, you might feel God in many ways, but there's got to be something in the heart, something that is there, an interest in God, a love for God a love for the Savior, a love for the things of God. And while Jacob um, had done many things wrong, yet at the back of it all, he wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing of God. And I hope that you do too. I hope uh, each one of us, we in our own hearts, long for the blessings of God. We might feel God many times in many ways, but I hope that there's that longing that God will step in, that you've an interest in the things of God and in the work of God, and that you want to see God, God's name exalted and glorified in the midst. That was Jacob. He was a failure in many ways. And the Bible is one of the things that indicates that it's the Word of God. It doesn't cover over the faults of its heroes. It doesn't in any way. And it's an encouragement to us because we feel and have failed. But what a wonderful thing if we're in the hands of God today. Are you in his hands? Are you walking in his steps? Are you seeking to glorify his name? May we all, with all of our hearts, seek to uplift our Savior in these days. May God write his word upon our hearts. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy word today. And we think of this man, Jacob, and how he seems to be a loser and then turns out to many, way, many ways to be a failure as far as his walk with God is concerned. 
But, O oh God, we thank Thee that he had some spiritual desire in his heart. He had uh, something that drew him to the spiritual things of life. And, O oh God, we pray that Thou wouldst draw men and women to Thee. Bless Thy word. Write it upon hearts. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. The hymn 396 will sing a verse of two or two in closing. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. loving God and our gracious Father, we pray that thou wouldst bless thy word to our hearts today. Part us now in thy fear and with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety and watch over us for Jesus' sake. Amen.